0: Good morning. In the Old Testament, we receive a couple promises that God is going to bring something that will cure our spiritual ills. One part in Ezekiel, he says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. We live on the far side of this cure having been made available. And what we find, it's available in the New Covenant. And so a question then becomes, if you were to look around and determine, you know, gee, spiritually, I'm not sure that we are globally in that good a shape, then the question would raise, its surface, why? Um, in Hebrews 8, as we're looking through this letter, the writer gives the clearest description of this cure that we find in the New Testament. The New Covenant is predicted in Jeremiah, an Old Testament prophet. We find it in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 8. Let's see what we find when we look at the New Covenant. Let's take a look, look what it says in your worship folder. Um, let's read the first A couple of verses as we work our way through this chapter. The writer says, Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up. Not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, He was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. It talks about the main point. Some of this stuff you say, I'm not sure I understand. It has to do with some of the rituals of Judaism. And But when he gets to the main point, there is a main point, and it is this, for when there is a priesthood, When there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. And what the writer is indicating, we don't need to know what a high priest did except that two things. That's the role that Jesus has taken upon himself. And when you have a new priesthood, and here's where it gets relevant for us. When there's a new priesthood, there is a new law. So that's why Jesus, when he comes as a priest, brings us from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. I think you'd agree with me that a cure can't cure you if you don't take it. Strangely, There are lectionaries that the church has developed over the years, and there's a number of them. And so over a three-year period of time, it leads you to read through the significant gospel portions and read through the significant letters. It exists in the Catholic Church. It exists in the Reformed Church. And it has developed over the centuries and millennia. And strangely, strangely, this section of Hebrews is not in it. Something that seems to stand and occupy a pivotal role as we go from Old Covenant to New Covenant for some reason, that has not been included. I'm not saying that to blow anything up, just that if we haven't heard a lot about the New Covenant, if you've come to Hope, we talk about it a lot, but if you look back in your in your church background and say, ah, maybe heard about the New Covenant, didn't that have something to do with communion? It seems that it has been kind of ignored. And I'm not sure why, because it's critical, it seems. If we are going to be who God wants us to be, understanding the New Covenant promises is necessary. Let's see what it says. Um, there's a... I wrote an article as part of Base for Grace. Would you, if you want, I'm going to read that. If you want to take it out and look along with me, the reason I do this from time to time is sometimes if something's especially important, I think it's helpful to have something in our hands. So that if you want, you could refer to this later. This is one of those things that. You don't hear a lot about, so I'm going to read it through and follow along as we think about why is this covenant a better covenant? God issued a new covenant. What was wrong with the old one? And then we come to the second section in Hebrews 8. I'll read it from this article. It's also part of the chapter we're looking at. Here's what it says. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant Of which he is mediator is superior to the old one and it is found on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and the article is gonna, we're gonna look at that. And God really didn't find fault with the people. That's how the New International Version translates, and we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. It says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers. When I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. New and improved. In the case of the covenant God made with the world, the description fits. A covenant is a treaty or agreement. Vulnerable nations seeking protection entered into covenants with powerful nations that could provide it. Once ratified, covenant documents detailing the following were given to each party. The parties entering into the agreement the history of the relationship between the parties, the promise or commitments made by the party offering protection, the stipulations or commandments accepted by the party seeking protection, and the penalties for not complying with the stipulations and commandments. The Old Covenant is the covenant established between God and the Israelites from Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments are the stipulations that the Israelites agreed to honor in exchange for God's protection. The blessings are the rewards for compliance and the curses are the punishments for noncompliance. The Israelites promised to obey the covenant demands. God responded with covenant blessings when they did so and with covenant curses when they did not. God kept his part of the agreement. He always fulfills his covenant promises. Always. Because they did not remain faithful to his covenant, God promised to make a new covenant. This covenant would not be like the covenant he made with the children of Israel. It would be superior. It would be founded on better promises. God replaced the old covenant in order to offer a covenant with new and improved promises. It says for if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would be, have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people. In the original language of the Bible, the words the people are not found. The Greek text simply says God found fault with them. The NIV translation of the Bible translated them as the people. This is not the point. God is not talking about people in the context. He is talking about promises. The passage says that God found fault with the promises, not with the people. This is why he founded the new covenant on better promises. The new covenant is superior because it contains new promises. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God promises to ensure responsiveness to his will by inscribing his demands on his children's hearts rather than on tablets of stone. He promises that the new covenant would establish a bond that could not be broken. The new covenant is superior because it contains no curses. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. God promises that wickedness and sins will no longer bring punishment and curses. I'm going to read that again. God promises that wickedness and sins will no longer bring punishment and curses. When God promises to remember their sins no more, he is not talking about divine amnesia. God is assuring us that sin will not prompt him to impose covenant curses. Children of God need not fear God's retribution and judgment. Curses are not included in the new covenant. It can be confusing to read the Bible. God seems to change. In the first half of the Bible, he is harsh and punitive. In the second half, Jesus reveals God to be gentle and fatherly. These differences, however, do not represent a change in God. They reflect a change in the covenant he operates by. It is essential to understand that God has established a new covenant. He no longer commands us to keep his commandments in order to earn his blessings and avoid his curses. God sent his son so that the fear of his judgment could be replaced by the assurance of his love. God does not change in the Bible. His covenant does. So here's a question, and it might be pretty obvious, but let's ask it. Why is the new covenant a better covenant? Why is the covenant established by Jesus on Mount Calvary better than the one he established to Moses on Mount Sinai? Look what it says in Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7. These are part of the stipulations. If you were a Jew living at the time of Moses... This would have been what you would have agreed to do. And if you did it, you would be blessed. And if you didn't do it, you would be cursed. You have to look what, let's look what it says in Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and Talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. What he says, these laws are to be on your heart. And who is responsible to put the law on the hearts of people or children? You shall... You shall talk about them on the way. You shall talk about them when you sit down and rise up. Who bears the responsibility? The individuals, the people do. Look what it says in Hebrews eight ten. See if you can find the difference. Not to be very difficult. See if you can isolate the shift. In responsibility, I'm going to suggest the biggest thing that happens in the new covenant is the shift in responsibility, and it is dramatic. Listen to what it says. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you, for that passage in Hebrews 8, if you have a pencil, or if you want to, it won't take very long, I'd like you to circle the ifs that you find in this second, in Hebrews 8, 10 through 13, 10 through 12. Just circle, because ifs are conditions. If you do this, I'll do this. So an if is a condition. So if you would just do that, just circle the ifs. How many do we have? How many ifs? Now go ahead. Just, oh, what? No, just find the ifs. Find the ifs. You're not fine. Find the ifs. What? What? What are you, you're kidding me. There's no ifs. Are you telling me there's no conditions? Are you telling me that there's just commitments? That's exactly what we find. That's what we find. Um, the New Covenant seems to suggest this. Again, we're going to wrestle with this because this seems kind of hard to believe. In the New Covenant... God assumes responsibility. Would you agree? Parents and priests were responsible in the old covenant. God replaces you better with I will. God assumes ultimate responsibility. Now, this is where it gets kind of, wait a minute, Mike. If God assumes responsibility, he absolves you of responsibility. Would you agree? I know that's, what do you mean? What do you mean, Mike? What do you mean? Do you have ultimate responsibility to put the law in your mind and on the hearts of your kids or does God have ultimate responsibility? If God is, has assumed responsibility, has he absolved you of ultimate responsibility? Has he? What does that mean? Do we just take a powder? Sit back? This is great. What change does it make? We're going to think about that. Is that a good thing? It's a true thing. We can decide if it's good or bad. We didn't make this up. He did. God assumes responsibility. Responsibility and absolves us of ultimate responsibility. Let's try to figure out what that means. How do we live with that? Can we agree that is what it's saying? Would you agree? I don't think there's any way around it. Um, God assumes responsibility and absolves us of responsibility. I want you to imagine what that would have felt like. Because if you were a Jew living at the time of the Old Covenant, if your kid messed up, It wasn't just your responsibility to discipline, punish, or if he was a real rectorate, kill him. It wasn't your responsibility. It was the responsibility of your neighbors as well. If they saw your kid and he was not a good kid, they had full authority under the law to get a group of people and to kill him. Can you imagine Parents? Can you imagine the weight of responsibility on your shoulder to make sure your kid didn't mess up? Because it wasn't just your decision that would impact what happened to him. It was the decision of the people around you. Think about your kid being subject to the discipline of your neighbors. Now, for some of you, that's okay. You have good neighbors. Some of you, "Uh, I don't think I'd like my kid to be under the scrutiny of my neighbor. Imagine the weight. Imagine how that would drive you to pound the law into your kid. You better not. You better listen to this and imagine what it would feel like if God said, you know that responsibility on your shoulders, I'm taking it off. I'm going to put the law in the heart of your kid. What would that? How would that impact your parenting? How would it impact your parenting? you would be more gentle, wouldn't you, with your kids? If you felt the weight of responsibility, ultimate responsibility, you would be forceful for their own good. But if you were absolved of responsibility, you would be able to be more gentle. That's why New Covenant influence is gentle, not forceful. Because God has assumed responsibility, and Jesus got that. That's why Jesus... Was't real forceful with moral boogerheads? If you stipulated that God was judgment, then Jesus was going to be very forceful with you because it's not the covenant that he came to inaugurate. Um, what difference does what difference does the old covenant make? I'm going to suggest, under the old covenant, human responsibility and human irresponsibility. You couldn't respond. That's what happens in the Old Covenant. God tells them to love, but if you've got the weight of responsibility, so you've got to force yourself and force your kids, I mean, how well does it look to try to force somebody into loving? You'll love me or you'll get it. That really works well, doesn't it? Yeah, Yeah, try that. Try that on your kids. Love me or else. Yeah, it doesn't work. The new covenant, divine responsibility and human response ability. Do you know what helps us love God? Understanding as time goes on, it's not a once and done. Understanding that he has assumed responsibility promotes response ability. We start to breathe when we think of God rather than... <gasps> that doesn't happen all of a sudden. I want you to listen to me. This change is not fast. What well, we're going to suggest it's something that you have to think about because it's drilled into our brains that God... <laughs> You know, God's, and we, it really takes a long time to shift. It takes a lot of focus. It's, it's hard work. Would you agree with me? Changing the way we think about God is very challenging. And that's what the new covenant would have us do. It makes a huge difference. If we are responsible, like I said, forcefulness is indicated. If we're responsible, be forceful. If God is responsible, be. gentle, it might be time for us to start to check the voices with which we address ourselves. Some of us are very external in our feelings, and we might check that. Some of us are very internal, and the voices with which we take ourselves with which we speak to ourselves, if those voices were externalized, we wouldn't be very happy about it because some of us, the voices with which we address ourselves are not in keeping with God's voice. God does deal with you gently, and that's what we need to learn to do as well. The new covenant is better because divine responsibility produces, promotes human responsibility. Let's look at the better promises from the jars of clay through whom we can behold the glory of the new covenant. Just point out a couple of things quick. We to get to the promises and actually we're familiar with them and stuff, but it, I want to read a couple of verses and make a quick, in verse eight, God says to the prophet, the writer, I will establish a new covenant. Well, that's God. They're quoting him. I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This covenant, this new covenant was made with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Well, that kind of stinks. I mean, I'm not. How many Jews do we have here? None. Do you know what we've been talking about? Jews are covenant stewards. Do you know what God did? He gave. I'm going to pick on Brian. Brian, Let's say Brian is a Jewish Christian. We lived in the Roman Empire. And Brian lives in Israel. And let's say um, Brian hears about Jesus. And he's a Jew. And he becomes a follower of Christ, understands that Jesus' death has inaugurated a new covenant. Now, this is really going to change the way Brian thinks about God. Let's say Amber, his wife, she doesn't see the change as clearly. That's going to create some friction. You're going to feel very responsible. And Brian, you're going to say, I don't think we need to sweat it as much. But let's say both of you. And let's say, come on up. Here we go. So both of you. Amber, you can, you've become a Christian as well. That's great. You, Brian. You didn't force her, did you, Brian? No. no. Okay. Excellent. Okay. So here's what here's here's what happened. Now, God makes a covenant with Jewish Christians, and His purpose in doing so is not so that they can have it and live in their nice house in Israel. Now, what's going to happen with you guys when you accept this thing? It's going to create mayhem in your life because most of your Countrymen don't believe in the new covenant and they are not going to like it that you do. And you know what's going to end up happening? What God's going to do with you? He's going to send you because you understand some of this and he's going to send you to them. And when you go to them, you're going to pay a price for doing so. Somebody needs to be the steward of these things. If no one carries this to them, They never get to learn about it. So somebody needs to bear some weight, and that's what Jewish Christians did. Thanks. And so, do you get that? When God makes the covenant with Israel and Judah, do you know why he does that? So he can dispatch them to tell us. That's why he does it. And they bear the weight, and they bore the weight. And that seems to be dismissed. Jewish Christians played... How could you just how an indescribably important role if they don't do what they did? And if God doesn't send them, we don't learn. That's the way it works. It says, so that means Jewish Christians are covenant stewards. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time. I'm going to really quick, but some of you are interested in this, some of you aren't, go to sleep. It's going to be really quick, really quick. Some of you like history, you like, hey, tell me all about kind of how this works, and so really quick. But Israel at the time was divided into two halves. There was the southern half, which was called the Kingdom of Judah. And the top part, the house of Judah, the top part was the house of Israel. The difference between the north and the south was the south, they were purebreds, they still really held to the law. The north, that's a different story. What happened in the north when Assyria conquered the northern part of Israel, what they did when they conquered people is they, they absolutely beat the crap out of them, actually. And then what they did, they imported people. They imported foreigners to intermarry and intersperse with the people so that they could crush Jewish culture. So the people in the north, they didn't think about Judaism and about God as much. There was a Pharisee I heard. I read about this Pharisee who was a professional in the law. He had lived in the south and got questions all the time about what can we do on the Sabbath and what can't we do? Can I work to come, can I walk to come and go and carry groceries back? You know there was something there was all kinds of questions. You asked him all the time. A Pharisee went to the north, to the Galilee of the Gentiles, where there had been a lot of intermarriage. He tends to be a little looser, a little bit more liberal with things. And I think I, I read, I believe it's eighteen years. In eighteen years, this Pharisee got two questions about. What to or not to do on the Sabbath. That's what the kingdom of the north was. And what ended up happening? God made this new covenant and he didn't go to the southern kingdom to begin with. They are the ones that held the line. They didn't, they didn't agree. He went to the north where Brian and Amber would have been from, if they that most of the individuals, the Jews, who accepted Jesus and went along with him were from Galilee of the Gentiles. They kind of had been pulled from the mainstream of Judaism, so they didn't have to make such a sharp turn. Well, there was one. So you know where this is going to go, maybe, if you've been around. There was one. Who wasn't from the kingdom of Israel in the north, he was from the kingdom of Judah in the south. And he had a really difficult time buying everything. Who was that one? Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. He was from Judas the man of Kerioth. He was, he lived about ten miles, five to ten miles south of Jerusalem. Do you imagine that's why Jesus knew who would be the one who would betray him? It's not that Judas was a bad guy. He was so rooted. He, Judaism, he couldn't escape. Yeah. At any rate, okay, that's, okay. History lesson over. Move on. It's interesting when it says in verse 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he made the first one obsolete. Okay, this is part two of the history lesson. This is really quick though. No, no kidding. Really quick. It's, um, and it says in verse 13 was it becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away we think that the letter to the hebrews was written in in 50s or 60s ad what this might be referring to what jesus remember what jesus indicated when he it was palm sunday and he approached the city of jerusalem remember what he did he just sobbed out loud Because he knew what was going to happen. That the Ark of the Covenant had been taken six centuries earlier. But what Jesus understood is that Jerusalem was going to be sacked. And he saw it ahead of time. This writer might be referring to the same thing. What is obsolete and aging will disappear. And what he might be describing... In a short period of time, if this is between five and ten years, there would be no place to offer sacrifices. Because Jerusalem will have been torn down brick by brick. It was terrible what happened to Jerusalem. And they couldn't continue to do the things that the old covenant prescribed because there was no place to do them. Everything had been destroyed. What's the point? What's the point? I want you to listen to me. The old covenant and the new covenant cannot coexist. I want you to listen to me. Some people think that, well, God kind of is an old covenant God, and God is a new covenant God, and he kind of still curses and blesses, and he kind of doesn't. And there's a lot of confusion I've told you this before. There was a seminary class and there were 18 students in there. And the question was asked by the professor. How many of you believe in, that the curses and blessing pronouncements in the Old Testament is still valid today? And out of 18 students in the class, 17 raised their hand. Absolutely. Absolutely God curses. And one didn't. And he was trying to come and again I'm not he'd come to hope. And I'm not saying that because I don't, but he understood, no. They don't both coexist. God is not an amalgam of old covenant and new covenant. Okay. So what ends up happening um, is the new supersedes the old. The old God no longer operates by it. God no longer operates by the Old Covenant. Now, what does that mean? That everyone goes to heaven? That's what it means. The covenant has to be believed in order for it to benefit. That's why we will talk about the New Covenant all the time. You get tired of it. Some of you might be tired of the New Covenant. And again, that's really, that's okay. I'm not blowing you up. We have to talk about it, though, because this is the thing that creates responsibility. This is it, and it doesn't create responsibility all at once. We have to keep our minds in it again and again and again and again, and little by little by little by little, it starts to change the way we think of him, and it changes the way we think of ourselves We become a little gentler with ourselves. Changes the way we think of others slowly. But it the new covenant will change you as you look at it. What do you need in order to be the person God wants you to be? I need to be more disciplined, Mike. I need more self-control. You know what you need? You need covenant clarity. We all need it. We need to understand the covenant that God operates by. We need to think about it. We need to think about that today and tomorrow. And little by little, it changes the way we think. Um, Okay. Jewish Christians are jars of clay. There is God makes some promises. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. What this means God promotes responsibility. That's what it means. When he puts his law in your minds and writes it on your hearts, he creates in you the willingness and the desire to do what he wants you to do. That's what it says. He says, I will be their God and they will be my people. You don't have to say, you better know God. <laughs> that's, you know, that's what it says. No, no one will have to teach his neighbor or man or his brother saying, hey, know the Lord, bonehead. Because God's going to cause... Them to know him. The least of them to the greatest. Says, I will be merciful to their iniquities and remember their sins no more. We teach this word here. It's a Greek word, but it's a really good Greek word. If you want to know one Greek word, this is the word. Helios. Helios. Helios means gracious, merciful, benevolent, cheerful. Here's what it says, and it uses that word, what the new covenant promise is. I will be helios to their unrighteousnesses. Here's what it says. I will be helios to your unrighteousnesses. Okay, here's what, here's what God's saying. Here's God's face. Non reactive, gentle, cheerful, gracious. And then you do that thing that you do. You know the thing I'm talking about. The thing you, you really don't want to tell anybody about. Might be how you treat somebody. Might be how you treat yourself. And you imagine that after you do those things, you imagine God's face. Disgusted with you. You know what Helios means? You do that thing, and God's face is cheerful, benevolent. Does that work? That's his operating system. Because you know what will happen? You start being honest with him. And that's what he wants. He wants you to speak freely with him. You know what, God, I don't understand why you do that. I don't understand why you do that. Would you agree you're going to a doctor? If you go into a doctor, you give them the symptoms and you say, okay, it feels like this and it feels like that and I do this and it does that and great, thanks. <laughs> you don't do that. You know, you do. You wait to see what he says. You ever done that with God? You know what, God, I just feel so angry these days. Why sit there? He's not tapping his foot. He's cheerful, benevolent, merciful, gracious. You know what he wants you to do? He wants you to talk to him. Wants you to talk to him. You know what God? I'd like to be different. Now we're talking. That's that's what he wants. Um, The new covenant promises supersede the old, and I've told you this. And I'm going to wrap this up. I mean, I was in China. And there's, um, I got to speak at this conference and the room was about this size. It was an apartment, big apartment. And on two successive days, I met with two groups of Chinese. They all came in at different times because it wasn't really safe for them to come to a Christian gathering. So some came in 30 minutes. But at any rate, when the dust cleared on a Thursday, there was a group of about 80, and on Friday, there was another group of about the same size. So on the first day, we were talking about covenants, and so I was trying to help them to understand that the old covenant is not in effect. And there was some smiles, and there was some scratching of the head, and they kind of got it. It was a little confusing. And then the next day, I said, you know what? I'm going to try something different. Here's what I did. Talked to them, and I said, here's, here's what I want you to do. God promises, I will put my law in your minds and write it on your hearts. Would you gather with a couple people and talk about what a difference it would make if you believe that? That God would put his law in your mind and write it on your heart? Talk about what it would create in you if you knew that God was responsible for your growth and not you automatically talk, 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 And I saw people engaged and their eyes start to light up. I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, what, what difference would it make if you believed that God would cause you to know him? That the responsibility for knowing him doesn't rest with you, but from him. You could see the people, you could just, uh. and then we got to the last one. How would it impact you if you knew that God was Helios, was merciful, cheerful, not judgmental of your unrighteousnesses? And then, you know what I, you know what I figured out that day? You know what? If we want to get out of the old covenant thinking, you know the way we do that? Is embrace new covenant promises. Because only a new covenant can extricate ourselves from the old. It takes a divine decree to override a previous divine decree. Here's what I'm saying. And again, I'm going to make a weird noise, John. Oh, here it comes. So here's the way it works. So we are rooted in old covenant thinking. You cannot pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Here's what I'm going to suggest. Keep coming back. We'll talk about the new covenant. Here's what's going to happen. Embrace it. You know what will happen? Little by little, some of you know it's coming. You know the way it is with the mud? You know the way it was out in this road This last spring? It was unbelievable. And that's the way you could try to get yourself out of the mud or you can grab onto something and it can... Do you know what will pull you out of Old Covenant thinking? New Covenant thinking. That's what it's here for. That's why we need to, to continue to think about it. Um, okay. These promises are fulfillments when it says the last verse in Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Um, I asked a question. Why if this covenant is available doesn't it seem to be working? Here's the answer. The message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Good news cannot benefit you until and unless you believe it. Do you understand that? That's why, little by little, it's not going to happen all at once. We're going to We'll talk about it time and again, promises, commitments. We'll keep on doing that because over time, you'll be exposed to it over and over. It'll become less shocking, more, a little bit easier to ingest. And what you're going to find, as this message starts to creep into your brain, I want you to listen to me. It will transform you. You will start to be gentler with yourself and others. You will start to want to talk to God in a deeper way. It will take time, years. Belief will usher in transformation. Keep coming back. We're going to say a closing song. Father, thank you for your covenant purposes. Jesus, thank you for coming to earth to die, to inaugurate a new covenant. And I pray that over the years, little by little, piece by piece, we might understand it at a a deeper level and, and that understanding it, it'll change our heart, and change our life. In Jesus' name, amen.